You're listening to The Crunch with Cam Slater. Right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Tanya Ankovic is a host on Radio Rima, a life coach, has trained with Tony Robbins, and is also New Zealand first candidate in Epsom electorate. Let's see what Tanya has to tell us about her life's journey and why she's standing for Parliament this election. Welcome to The Crunch, Tanya. I'm so very pleased to have you here. Good morning, Cam. So you've got a bit of an uphill battle. Uh, You're fighting the incumbent uh, MP for Epsom, David Seymour. Um, How's that going uh, on the hustings in the streets and in the the meeting halls around Epsom? It's it's my old stomping ground, by the way. It is. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, well, look, do you know what? I reframe it, and I don't call it an uphill battle. Yeah. Do you know I change that, <clears throat> excuse me, straight away, and I just go, you know, Tanya, you focus on the outcome you want and don't think of what's on the sidelines, at the barking dogs on the sidelines. You just focus on the outcome you want. Yeah, and what's that outcome? Well, for me personally is to help New Zealand first get back into Parliament. So to maximise the party vote, that is the first outcome. So I know there's a lot of party votes up for grabs when I look at the stats for the last few elections. So I'm going to go out there and get as many of those as I can. That's what a lot of people seem Mm. to miss. They think they've got two votes and they can split their votes. I've always said, well, it doesn't really matter what you do in the electorate. Right, You can vote for whoever you want in the electorate. It's not really a a vote split, but the most important vote, the vote that determines the makeup of parliament is the party vote. And and I think even after 30 years of MMP, a lot of people just do not understand the importance of that party vote. And, And they also don't understand what happens to the votes of the of the what I call the minnow parties, the, the the tiny parties that can't get to five percent and won't get to five percent. You know they've got heroic assumptions. And there's very good people involved, and their hearts are in the right place. But as Simon Lusk uh, said on this show a few weeks ago, their hearts are in the right place, but their brains aren't. Um, right. But, but people uh, people forget that there is a reallocation of those votes. Some people assume that if you vote for a very minor party that doesn't meet 5%, that all those votes get thrown in the bin, but they don't. They they actually, via a little bit of subterfuge uh, from the Electoral Commission, uh, basically get reallocated, and it's proportional to the ones that got over 5%. So if, if New Zealand First gets over 5%, you'll pick up a couple of those, but the vast majority of those wasted votes get split between the Labour Party and the National Party. And I'm not sure a lot of those people want the National Party and Labour Party to pick up those votes. No, no. And, you know, everything that you've just said is some is a message that I've actually been spreading in the last few weeks because so many people don't know that fact. And it's not easily publicised, is it? It's not. It's information that you can't easily get. So yeah. for some reason... They don't want you to know that, whoever they are. And that's a message I'm telling everyone. Well, you know, you can search the Electoral Commission's website and it doesn't even appear on there. And probably the best website that explains it the best is actually the spin-off. And, you know, I have to give them credit. I mean, I, I don't really like their politics or where they're at and the wokeness, but they've done a very good explainer about this on 
uh, how MMP works and how it especially works for the minor parties. Mm. Uh, I'd recommend anybody that's listening to the show to go and search Wasted Votes, uh, MMP, and the spinoff, and you should be able to find their link very easily. Yeah, but also um, but you yeah. did it. You did a great clip as well with an interview with Sandra last mm. week, I think yeah. it was. You know, there's yeah, about yeah. five minutes in that clip, which is valuable, and you both explain it really well. So that would be worthwhile people going back and listening to that. Well, you know what's funny is uh, in in the mailbag, you know, I've got a mailbag mm. that people send stuff into, you know, electronically, of course. Mm. There's all these people have emailed in saying, oh, you're wrong, they get thrown in the bin, you know, uh, look, hang on. I've been involved in the political process in New Zealand for more than 40 years. Mm. Right? This is how I earn my money. I cannot afford to be wrong. Mm. <laughs> you know, and that's yeah. not blowing my own trumpet. It's what I do for a living. It's the most important thing that I do. And mm. so I can't be wrong about these things because if I'm wrong about these things, then people will stop listening. And when people stop listening, I'm not able to impart information to them. So, yeah, but also if you were wrong, that interview would be taken down by now, right? And it's still there going strong. It's not wrong. You know, I know I'm, <laughs> I, uh, and I have a little uh, technique that I say to people when they say, oh, you're wrong. I say, oh, I'll bet you $10,000 on that. <laughs> that swaps them <laughs> around. <laughs> I, I'm prepared to put that much money up on the fact that I'm not wrong. But, but I'm not here. we don't need to talk about me. We're here to talk about you. So so tell tell our listeners a <laughs> little bit about Tanya Ankovic because like your website is beautiful. Like I've, oh, seen, I've seen a, a lot of candidates' websites out there. And sure your website is is promoting your business as well. Yeah. But who's Tanya Ankovic and why should people support New Zealand first to ensure that you get into parliament? You know, the first thing that came to mind was I'm just a little girl from Northland, first immigration, uh first generation from my parents came from the former Yugoslavia and uh, they lived in a communist state in a really hard environment. And my parents are the masters of resilience. And that is probably why in my whole life, being able to get knocked down and get back up again, actually, as Winston said himself, is something that I have really wanted to master myself, but also teach others how to master, to actually yeah. master resilience and to know that suffering is not a, a, a an end result. We've got a choice. So that is part of the reason why I'm actually going down this political path, which, which I can share with you later on. Mm. But um, look, my background is commerce. Yeah. And um because of my own personal journeys that I've had mm. as a teenager with struggles with body dysmorphia and eating issues and body image, which is such a common problem that really veered into my 20s, I really struggled with that and had to do a lot of work to get to overcome that. And in my 30s, I was then faced with a monumental grief of infertility. And that is what actually led me to go down the path of learning how to be a counsellor. I'd spent many, many years already yeah. healing myself, but that was one of the reasons I did that. And then life threw me another curveball when my then husband, Phil, was diagnosed with cancer and he passed away when I was 40. So there's been grief upon grief and adversity, which 
I believe is what has led me down this path of showing people how to overcome adversity and master resilience. And I've combined my commerce and that field together in doing business coaching, you know, helping people, executives on how to master their skills. What often keeps us stuck is our crazy mindset. So that's who I am. Dead right. Yeah, yeah. So that's been that's my journey. And along that path, I wrote books. I started writing books yeah. about those topics and then went on the speaking circuit. So I'm quite a mixed bag, you might say. A mixed bag, yeah. It's interesting you raise about <clears throat> body dysmorphia and, and those sorts of things because, you know, I mentioned your website before and it's beautiful and uh, it's designed really well. But the thing that is the biggest impression of it is that the photographs of yourself uh, are beautiful. They're really, really good, uh, stunning photographs that you don't often see with political candidates. And you're putting yourself up for political office. You're working as uh, you know, on the stage, you know, on the speaking circuit. You've overcome that body dysmorphia and you're, you're flaunting it now to everybody. Uh, this is me. I'm I'm fabulous. I look fabulous. I speak, uh, you know, in a fabulous way. I'm fabulous, and I'm living. And yeah. I think that's a real credit to you that you've overcome that and and actually used uh, your fear of that. I guess because it's always lurking there, isn't it? Oh, for sure. It's a really tough journey. Mm. Um, a really really tough journey, which I know a lot of people struggle with, not only as teenagers, but, you know, a lot of my clients who come to me with that problem, you wouldn't know. They are high-end executives, but they struggle with the same issue. And um, admittedly, my website's been like that for about four years now. And Mm. the photographs mainly are credit to my husband. He does all my photography, so I'm very lucky there. Yeah. Um, But I've also got a belief, do not keep yourself small. No matter what it is that you feel that you have achieved in inverted commas in life, so often we are scared to be knocked down. And Mm. I say stand up, shine, and show others. You know, that's how you lead, by example, because by you standing up and not being frightened of being knocked down by others, you're showing other people that, you know, there's a superhero in you as well. So stand up and show it because life is too short to not reach your highest potential and live to your highest standard. So that's why I do that. And you also talked about resilience. And this is something that that I've been looking at, uh, perhaps not as deeply as you have, but you just think about the end of World War II in 1944, for example, right? Mm. We had millions of 18-year-olds charging off landing craft on the D-Day beaches into withering machine gun fire and artillery fire and, you know, bombers and all of that with the Germans to retake Europe from totalitarianism. Mm. And, you know, tragically, uh, hundreds of thousands of people lost their life fighting for freedom. And now we have 18-year-olds that want safe spaces and uh, want their pronouns uh, Registered. These are the outrages that they are concerned about. And you look at kids at school uh, being indoctrinated by the education system with all sorts of things that 
you know, calamities that may befall the earth but may not either. And they've become, become frightened. They're not resilient. They're weak. Uh, and now we've got a government that's going to push through parliament this week or is, probably will have done it uh, as we go to air, a bill that allows these non-resilient people to vote in local body elections because they're 16, not, mm. not, not for any other reason. What's your view on that and, and how has society become less resilient over time rather than more resilient? Two of the hardest questions to answer are who am I and where yeah. am I going? And we don't put enough emphasis on building people's personal identity for them to create a strong personal foundation of who they are. It's not what you do, what you've achieved, but who am I? And people don't know how to manage their emotional state anymore. They don't know how to go, gosh, I've got to pull myself together. It's so easy to soothe ourselves with food, alcohol, whatever it is that we run from instead of building that inner certainty. And I find that the most advantageous thing to teach my clients or to teach everyone is how to stand up with certainty and to not be frightened. There is so much fear that is pushed, whether it be through political avenues, through the media, whatever it is, all of the topics, it's fear, fear, fear. And mm. that is knocking people's belief that no matter what happens to them, they'll crumble. Whereas I say, flip that, no matter what happens, you will still be standing. This is this is this is the the thing that is has annoyed me the most, I guess, over the last you know three years with with the pandemic, is that we trained people to expect the government to think for them, mm. to protect them, to do things for them, to pay them. Mm. And I, it's my belief uh, that we have disabled our society in the last three years. And proof of that was one night on on uh, on the news I saw during the Soccer World Cup. There was a, a, a game where the, a fire alarm had gone off at Eden Park. And, you know, there were, the news was that there was a fire alarm and the game carried on and et cetera. And they interviewed this guy uh, and he said, we heard the fire alarm and we didn't know what to do. Mm. And there was no one to tell us what to do. Mm. And I was screaming at the television saying, well, was there any smoke, you fool? Yeah. You know, like, like, like that's the resilience thing that was smashed and destroyed by the mm. Ardern government. Mm. Mm. And it, it bothers me. It bothers mm. me a lot that these people have been trained very quickly to believe that all of the answers come from the government. What's your view on that? There's a saying, and you can relate this to many things, you can't solve money problems with money. So if you just keep handing out money to someone, they aren't going to learn how to value that money. They aren't going to learn how to respect that money. They aren't going to change their relationship with that money or break any bad patterns. If you keep 
putting cotton wool around someone. You're mm. never going to enable them to step outside mm. of that cotton wool bubble and learn how to stand on their own two feet. So, look, during that three-year period, if you listen to some of my past interviews and in that, I kept talking about stop pushing the fear. Stop yeah. pushing the fear. Mm. Build resilience within the people, within the community, within the family. Instead of dividing them, bring them together and help them build resilience. And that is what I teach my clients. That is what I always speak on. Because if we don't have that inner certainty and belief that we're not going to survive, then of course you're not going to. My husband and I were actually in the USA in the middle of Feb of March 2020. We were there in Anaheim. It was deserted. It was two yeah. days before Disneyland was going to be closed down. And our attitude was not let's stay in the room. Let's go to Disneyland. <laughs> no yeah, one no else cues. will be there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We didn't have the fear. And that is the one thing that I keep Barking on about now, actually, because that is why the mental health of this country is so affected now. People mm. just have lost that ability to believe in themselves. Part of the the language that was used, and, and I blame Jacinda Ardern for this. I mean, she's got a degree in communications, and there was some very deliberate things that she did and said. One word that used to grate with me hugely is they were talked about vulnerable, vulnerable members of society or vulnerable community groups or vulnerable this and vulnerable. I I find that language ultimately disabling. If you tell someone that they're vulnerable or disabled, and you know I've got my own story around that. You know I, I had a neurosurgeon tell me I was going to be a cripple for the rest of my life and never use my right arm again after I had a stroke and I, I told him to get stuffed. Good for you. I said, I'm not, I'm not going to be that guy, you know, and he said, well, you know, I'm an expert and da, da, da. And I said, well, you know, an expert is a drip under pressure. And um, I just said about doing it, but this is the problem when people are in, in power in positions of influence, uh, you know, radio hosts, television hosts, you know, uh, singers, famous people. And they describe, people as vulnerable mm. don't they then become brainwashed very easily into being vulnerable well you're creating a limiting belief the more you hear something the more you hear a certain type of language being used the more it's going to be imprinted in your brain and your psyche and that's what you're going to believe um one of the best bits of training I've ever had in my life and the hardest training I've ever had in my life was when I was training to be a Tony Robbins coach, you know, Tony Robbins yeah, from yeah. The US with the yep. big teeth. Yep. Well, I was one of his coaches and right. um, the training for that was a, a period of three months. And I could you not, it was like being in the military. But one of the things that he talks a lot about is what you focus on, you're going to feel. And part mm. of that focus is not only what you're thinking about, but also what comes out of your mouth. So yeah. that's why you have to really be mindful of not only what you're speaking out loud, but what you're allowing people to say around you. So I won't even, if someone's really negative around me, I'll quietly slip away because I just don't want that. It's noise. It's, it's yeah, external yeah. noise. Yeah. 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 And you've got to do, you've really got to train yourself though. Mind what's coming out of your mouth. Mm. And that's why when you said at the beginning, you know, Epson being an uphill battle, I'm I'm looking at that mountain and seeing myself climb that mountain with pride, you know. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. that's what you've got to do. You've got to really change the way you think, what comes out of your mouth and that sort of thing. So 
because I was aware of that, um, yes, like yourself, I wasn't happy either. So I turned the TV off at one o'clock as well. And I just kept telling myself, no, I'm great. I'm fine. And I just tried to encourage others to do the same as well. Yeah, it's so powerful. Words are so powerful and they can be used uh, against you. And we saw that, I think, in, in the last three years where words were used against people, you know, and yeah. pe- people would say, oh, well, I'm, I'm making my own decision about this. I'm I'm not going to do this or I'm not going to take that or I'm not. And then words were used against them to destroy them. You know, mm. we, we've heard disinformation that gets thrown around all the time now people mm. who are accused racist is another one you get mm. you know, accused of you know, by and large the majority of new zealanders get on with everybody else and there's a yes. small minority of people that want to accuse everybody of racism simply because of how they look which is racist mm. in itself yeah mm. mm. it's disabling language yes. and we're actually seeing it infect our business leaders as well. Now, you're dealing with business leaders in your line of work. Mm. And, uh, and you know, it's interesting because, you know, you talk about res- resilience, you talk about uh, ownership, about standing up and being tall. But some of us who do stand up and be tall sometimes are made to feel like imposters by yeah. our own minds. And I know yeah. there's a syndrome, you know, imposter syndrome, they they call it. Mm. And it's really, really hard. And, and like, you know, if you're in these positions yourself, it's yourself that actually limits you. 100%. And yeah. So, you know, like I, I get people come up to me all the time and they say, oh, Cam, you're great. You're this and everything. And I'm sitting there going, well, I don't, you know, why I feel like I'm just winging it. You know, uh, I feel I'm just winging it here, and you think it's cool. Well, okay, all right, cool. Pleased to meet you, you know, and you move on like that. Politicians get that too, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. Look, all humans get that. We all mm. get that. And that's where you have to, on a daily basis, just like having a shower, you have to actually take time to answer that question, who am I? Mm. That's right, I'm Cam Slater. Mm. I'm actually changing the world. This is how I've already done it, A, B, C, D. Mm, mm. And these are the lives I've already changed. So you do have to keep reminding yourself of who you are and the effect that you're having on individuals, on communities and all that sort of stuff. And do it every day. It yeah. really is. You, it's you it's just, habit forming, isn't it? It's like yeah. getting it. It's like Jordan Peterson says, get up in the morning, make your bed straight away. Absolutely. Right? And uh do certain there's certain things that if you do and you do them every day then they become a habit and then that then they become natural it doesn't take you very long to do it but it sets your mind up that i'm ready for the day yeah yeah are you having to do that too with with you know you're doing something different here you're doing politics yes that's hard but i know it's hard because i've been Mm. involved for 40 years but it are you having to do that every day you get up and say I'm Tanya Yankovic. I'm the best candidate for Epsom. I'm going to go to Parliament and we're going to change the world. 100%. Yeah. And I've been doing that for a very long time. It's, it's you know, you create a strong identity of yourself. So, you know, there might, there might be Tanya Yankovic who is the um, politician and there's mm. Tanya Yankovic who's the wife. Yeah. You have to know how to change between each because, you know, you can't take Tanya Yankovic, the politician, on date night. It just won't work. So you need to be able to <laughs> um, show up in the state that you need to be, right? So yeah. 
Um, and it, this is all part of the coaching. It's like, well, okay, Tan, who's going to show up today? Are you going to show up as that little insecure girl who used to struggle as a teenager with body image and all that? Or are you going to show up as the strong woman with certainty who's standing up for the people of New Zealand, of Epsom, and is going to make a change? So, you know, it's very much in the mind. Um, you know, you were talking about repetition. Well, that's the mother of skills. That's how we mm. build the bicep. You've got to go to the gym and pump it every single day in order Arnold used to say that right that's how he got his 22 inch bicep it wasn't by sitting around so you you have to be disciplined and that's a discipline that I've got from decades of doing this of going from feeling not good enough to actually feeling yeah I am good enough so what made you decide after doing all of this yeah helping other people counseling public speaking, all of these things, right? It's an amazing spread of skills that you, that you are good at. What made you say in 2023, I want to be an MP, I want to go to parliament? What, what, what's, the tr- what's your trigger for that? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, look, you know, I, I've always known that part of my path was to somehow help mankind. And I knew that by writing the books after Phil died. And then these next two books that I've written is one way that I'm contributing. And about five or six years ago, when my husband and I moved up to Langs Beach for a little while, I thought maybe I can get involved in a bit of local politics there just to do something different. But life changed. Mum and dad both got very unwell. Then COVID happened and all that. But it was May 2021, and there was a trigger one night. I was talking politics at a party, and it uplifted me. It energized me, and I was feeling very concerned about our country. I'd always voted one way all of my life, all of my life without thinking about it. I'd go to the polls, tick the same thing without thinking about it. But I was very uneasy and decided I need to make a shift. So it was that night at a party. The next Mm. day I woke up and said to my husband, it's time. And I said to another family member, it's time. And they both went great. So that was May 2021 before things got a bit really messy in New Zealand. And um, it was within six weeks of that that someone told me that Winston Peters was coming back. And I had no idea, to be honest. I thought Mm. because the party was thrown for him and that he was putting his feet up. And as soon as I heard that, actually, I'll step back a little bit. On the morning that I was told that Winston Peters was coming back, I said a little prayer. I said, okay, God, if you want me to go into politics, you're going to show me how and where and with whom. And within two hours of that, I found out Winston Peters was coming back. That night, I went and read everything about their, on their website about their policies. Yep. And my biggest aha moment was, how come you haven't voted for this man before? And it made me go, you know, Tanya, you're an intelligent woman. Mm. And all of your life, you've just gone and ticked the same box the whole time. There must be thousands of people out there doing the same thing. Yeah. That was a big eye opener for me. And uh, so that was June, late June, July, 2021. Mm. And then nothing really happened after that because we were locked down. My father died and then we were locked down and then my mother died and we were locked down for a long time. And I then went to their convention in 2022 and it was during the convention I was, I felt home. I felt at home. Mm. 
You know, it was the party, it was Winston, it was Shane, it was everyone. It was the feel of the party. And I knew I'd found my political home, probably the first time in my life, truthfully. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was brought up in a household that was steeped in the National Party. You know, my father was a senior office holder in Auckland and then was the president of the party. And then when I started my blogging and journalism career, it was coming from from that worldview. Mm. And it was over a period of years, basically from 2014, that I realized that and started to realize that this polarization that exists within New Zealand society, that in reality comes from our politicians. Uh, because, you know, our superstars, our heroes in New Zealand are rugby players, cricket players, and politicians, mm. and, and, a, and a few actors, you know. Mm. Um, and they're literally the worst people to be our heroes in, in many respects, particularly the politicians. Mm. The narcissism, the polarisation, the, the deviousness, all of that sort of thing. And so from 2014 onwards, I sort kind of started a journey that divorced myself from the partisan party politics. I ceased being a member of any political party and all those sorts of things and started to look at, well, actually, you know, don't, do those people have some good ideas? Let's have a look. Mm. And yeah, my eyes were open too. And I realized mm. that I'd spent a lifetime ticking the same party every time, no matter what, without actually thinking. And from 2014 election onwards, so that's what, 2014, 2017, 2020, mm. I've voted a different party in every one of those elections. Interesting. So, yeah, I've been on a similar journey. Yeah. Uh, to, to to you and you know it's good to hear from you because that'll help the listeners to realize you need to pull your head out of the sand mm. because this is a very important election it's the very, most important <laughs> yeah you know, i'll be as yeah, i've been involved in politics for 40 odd years i can remember the you know 1984 election to get rid of Muldoon and almost everybody wanted to get rid of Muldoon mm. uh, but it took one man uh, Bob Jones to see the way to get rid of Muldoon. Mm, that, mm. that was to split the vote. And then he did his job and then he left politics. Mm, mm. Uh, you know, we saw 1990, a huge election where Jim Bolger swept, was swept into power. Then, then we had nine years of that and we saw Helen Clark come in. Those elections are small compared to what's at stake in this election. Mm, mm. And that seems to be what's driving you, that this is vitally important. I need to do something, and here's mm. what I'm going to do. Mm. 100%. And I think with the time, you know, life is all about timing, isn't it? I couldn't be doing this now if I still had my parents to care for. They were a big part of my life in the last five years. But, you know, and then, you know, I struggled so much with infertility, yet now I go, You've got all of this time now, Tanya. If I had kids or grandchildren now, then my life would be fuller, but I don't. Every, all the ducks have kind of lined up in a row, and I've now got the time and the energy, but most importantly, I've got a very strong reason why. Yeah, what's And that? Uh, just seen the decline 
mm. of our nation, the the segregation, the lack of unity, the division, the people who are quietly suffering, the the youth who are suffering with mental health issues who aren't being taught how to be resilient. Yeah. It's as if the opposite is happening. I'm looking at the executives who are struggling to put food on the table in spite of big incomes, people are struggling. Mm. And I'm seeing the elderly who I feel are being forgotten in some way. They've just been through two or three years of isolation from family, friends, filled with fear. Mm. And they shouldn't have to see this last stage of their lives this way. My parents died with what I would say was lacking dignity because mm. of the way they were separated, the way we were all separated from them. My parents, my brothers couldn't be at their side during their dying breaths. And that is grief that is complicated, that will stick with people for a very long time. And this is a big driver for me. I know that I don't have a political background, but I'm going actually fantastic. I'm not a politician. I'm a human being that has lived decades of life and yeah. I'm going to try and uplift and help others. We've got to unite. A country mm. that is not united isn't going to stand. I think that is one of the most important things that we can do now. Yeah. I mean, what's that saying? A house divided? Doesn't stand. No. And, and I pick up to that. You know, I found it really interesting that you said that you'd prayed for a direction that God would show you a way and, and delivered that literally within hours. Yes. Um, faith's important to you, isn't it? Top of the list. Top of that the list. Before anything else. Before God, anything else. So God first, then New Zealand first. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sorry, Winston and Shane. <laughs> um, I wouldn't be where I am today without that. Yeah. Truthfully, you know, the ability to surrender, to accept, hey, this is a cross you've got to bear, Tanya. Don't choose to suffer. Choose to turn it around and somehow show mankind that you can overcome anything that you are handed. And those are amazing words that you're using there, that on one hand, you first of all, you're using choose, right? Yes. And that comes from God giving us free will. Mm. He said, you can choose. Mm. You, you can follow this plan of salvation or not. Mm. It matters not to me. I'd really like you to follow the plan of salvation, but if you don't, well, that's okay because mm. I give you free will. Mm -hmm. And then the next thing is the, the word that you use was surrender, but not in a negative way, in a, in a militarial way. It's more in a philosophical way. Yeah. And, and I don't think a lot of people who say that they're Christian or have faith understand that surrender part. Mm. And, and like for me, that was exactly that. I reached a moment not too long ago, actually, mm. where I said, you know, this is too hard. I can't do this. Mm. Uh, this is up to you, God. Mm. And the relief that comes from, from that act of surrender, that choice to say, I'm going to give this problem to you, mm. was incredible. Like, mm. I've never experienced anything like it. Mm. And I think a lot of people don't do that. They don't understand sometimes something's bigger than them and they can't do it, so they need help. Yeah, yeah. They Unfortunately, a lot of people see surrender as a sign of weakness. 
Um, but until you really experience surrender, where you're going, I'm going to let go of trying to control this. Yeah. And just let life or God, if if you have a faith, if not, then just let life flow. And for, for, yeah, for alpha people, right, and politicians are alpha people, right? Mm, mm. That act of surrender is enormous. Massive. But also empowering at the same time. You yeah. become more alpha, actually. <laughs> oh, for sure. You know, one of the great things about um, being a coach for Tony Robbins is I used to get to clients from all around the world. And some of these people were extraordinary business people, extraordinary leaders, yet they found how empowering it was to be able to also surrender. Yeah. And let go. And by doing that, they were far greater leaders because they realized it wasn't all about them. And that is what I feel I can bring on this journey. This isn't about me. No. You're a facilitator. Yep. And I'm here to serve the people and I will get my strength from something greater than me because this is a big journey. And if ever I feel a little bit shaky, I go, I straight away focus on, okay, I know I'm being led. I know I'm being directed. I know I'm being carried. And I feel strong because of that. Yeah. I mean, you you, you know, you look, it's kind of, you know, uh, a common thing you see, particularly around beauty pageants, but also with politicians. And people say, well, uh, you know, what is your greatest goal in life? What do you want to see? What can you achieve? And they come up with some trite motherhood and apple pie statement that's like, you know, I want I want world peace. And they let them get away with it. Mm. You know, um, it, it's a nothing statement. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm not hearing nothing statements from you. I'm hearing big, bold statements from you, brave statements, mm. uh, saying, look at me, I'm going to help you go on a journey similar to what mine is and you can be fabulous too. Yeah, for sure. Um, You know, a big part of this is to show people that what they think is impossible is possible. That's what I love about politics. I always describe politics as a game and it really upsets people who are professional politicians and stuff like that. But it is a game and it's a fabulous game because there's no rules. You can make them up as you go along. And the media tries to make rules up and things like that. But the reality is it might be a game, but it's also uh, an amazing thing that can deliver huge possibilities Mm. of big things. And New Zealand has been in the forefront of some many fantastic things and developments. You know, we're, we had scientists involved in splitting of the atom. We had, you know, the Hamilton jet invented. We've got Fisher and Pike. Where a lot of these things came about through necessity, right? Mm. We were remote. We were at another part, end of, the, end of the world from everywhere else. We had long supply lines. We had to make do. Mm. And as New Zealand's become wealthier and uh, has become uh, better off, and and we use that term loosely, given the state of the economy and all that. Now, mm. we've become le- less resilient. We've mm. become disabled. Mm. Where we we used to have tough men that would take on the world. You know, New Zealand soldiers were respected in World War One and World War Two for being the fiercest fighters. Yeah, you know, I'm sure you can 
talk about the Gurkhas and things like that. But New Zealanders were recognised as can-do people. Mm. And it seems that we've become can't-do people. Mm. And that concerns me, and that's why I've been sitting there listening to the words that Winston Peters has been saying and what you've been saying. And it seems to me that you want to bring back that can-do attitude, that we're, we're the champions of the world for real things, not for pathetic virtue signaling things like we've got more wind turbines than anybody else or something like that. You know? Yeah, yeah, it it is very much. And I suppose this is also me coming from a place of not being a political background, but from a very different background. And, you know, a first generation New Zealanders saying, I made a decision. And I made a decision back in May 2021. And in spite mm. of all of the things that have happened since then, I'm still going forward because I decided back then. Once you decide something, then you're halfway there. People don't even actually, some people don't even have the strength to make a decision anymore. They don't trust themselves to make a decision with certainty. I made that decision and I'm going to go forward with my outcome that I said before, as many party votes for New Zealand first to get them back into parliament. That is what I'm focused on. So once you've decided and you've got that strong reason why pushing you, then mm. you will go forward. And that is something I want to lead by example by doing that, showing other people this can be done. You know, there's a lot of women out there in particular who they're looking for someone to inspire them. They're looking for someone to make them get off the couch, get back up again and yeah. say, actually, I can do this. So, okay, mm. if that little girl from Dargaville can do this, who had so many struggles in life, then maybe I can too. Yeah. I mean, we, we see this in society a lot where people are disabled by their, their life choices mm. and they don't realize that they, they can choose a different path. They can choose a different outcome. They can choose to act, react differently from the way they have. Yeah. Make another decision. Make another decision. Yeah. And someone says, well, I've made my decision about something. You know, I, it's the right thing to do. I'm doing this. And my response to that is, well, make another decision. Mm -hmm. Just mm -hmm. because you make decisions can be unmade as well. Mm -hmm. And all too often, there's a lot of people that actually don't want to make decisions. And they want other people to make decisions for them, whether it's their husband or their wife or or, or um, a, a city councillor, a mayor, mm. a politician. Mm. Mm. They've they've conditioned themselves to be lazy about decision making. Mm. Well, shame is a big driver. Oh, it's huge. You know, so what if I make the wrong decision? I'm going to make a fool of myself and be a failure. So shame is stopping them from making the wrong decision. Um, shame also stops us from admitting, gosh, I have made the wrong decision. Best I make another one to straighten this up. But mm. instead, we sit in this bucket of shame and stay on the wrong path, even though we know it's the wrong path or the wrong relationship, whatever it is, because I'm too ashamed to admit that I did wrong. I've made some terrible decisions in my life, but, you know, I probably shouldn't even use the word terrible. They weren't the they right. They were decisions. decisions. They were decisions. And they, were de <laughs> they were decisions. Full stop. Town, that was dumb. <laughs> Do yeah. something else. You know, so don't let shame stop you. And unfortunately, we've got a lot of shame happening around, whether it be through gaslighting, whatever it is. And, you know, someone asked me, you know, what's the worst thing for you about going into politics? I said, well, look, I won't deny there was a part of me that wasn't looking forward to all the trolling and the online worries and all that. But 
I know that hurt people hurt people. And Mm. if I can respond Mm. in a different way with compassion and mercy, then surely that is going to be better than fighting back. I'm not a fighter. Um, I'll stick up for myself, but I'm not one to get into a scrap like that, you know, but uh, just to know that people are hurting and that's how some people respond. Yeah. And, and, you know, I've, I've learned that myself. I, I was known for being a fighter. You know, get in in the face of somebody, give them a hiding, try try and get out of it. You know, uh, and when I say give them a hiding, I mean politically or metaphorically, right? Yeah. But yeah, but it's not me. It's mm. just what I did. I made I made decisions, mm. and you know, you can look back and say some of those were poor decisions, or you know, like I mean, I've done some crazy things, like you know. Um, I made a bomb once and set it off with a rifle and I was a little bit too close to it. And oh, that, no. that decision came rushing at me at the speed of an explosion. And I was thinking really like in a nanosecond, Cam, you, you, that was a close run thing there. That was close. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it, it was, yeah, it, it, it was my stroke that slowed me down physically, mm. but mm. it also slowed me down to stop and pause and think, okay, it's time for changes to be Mm. made here because Mm. this path is destructive. Mm -hmm. And that really was a close run thing. You know, Mm. the doctors were saying, you know, you you nearly died. Mm. And for the first time in my life, I actually listened. You know, I I finally realized that I I don't know better than Mm. some other people. Mm. And and then you make those changes, and then it sets you on another journey, and yeah. and that came from making a new set of decisions. Yeah, and that's what New Zealand needs to do. I feel that we have had a shock. The economy's on its knees. Uh, we haven't done anything really for six years mm. to progress New Zealand. It's in fact it's regressed with division, separatism, and all the nasty stuff that has gone on and is continuing to go on. And it, it, we we are in a position where actually the country is having a stroke. Mm. That's what I, I feel anyway, that we're having mm. a stroke and we need to make better decisions. Mm. And to also let people know that there is another way. Mm. There is another way. When you get into that pattern of thinking or believing and you go, this is the only path forward. There's no other journey for me. And so people give up, you become apathetic and you just let go and go, oh. Letting other people make decisions for you. Yeah. And And we see this. Yeah. We we see this when people say, and I'm lucky I've got, I've got a website where people can comment on it and I can pick up what people are saying easily because it, you know, I don't have to go very far. I just have to look at my comment section. Mm. And people say the only way that we can get rid of this government is to is to party vote national or uh, party vote act or 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 one of those two. It's the only mm. way. And I mm. say to them, uh, it's not the only way. There mm. are other alternatives. Mm. You don't. That's not my way or the highway. It's not. That's not the only way. And I'm mm. challenging people to look. At alternatives, but I'm mm. I'm I'm qualifying that. I'm saying you can vote however you want, but to make that vote count, you have mm. to vote for a party that is going to make the five percent threshold or mm. is going to win an electorate seat. Mm. 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 Because if you vote for these other ones, then you have no say. 
You yeah. you really don't. You need to have a say and you need to make that count. But it isn't just national. It isn't just act or it isn't just that. And I think New Zealand society is is poorer for the fact that we keep lurching from the red team to the blue team, mm-hmm. red mm-hmm. team, blue team. They're the same. They're different sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. And we have to take responsibility. We have to actually learn how to take responsibility and educate ourselves, mm. which is what I did. And my eyes got flung open in 2021. Wide and I open. educated myself. Yes, I went out there and educated myself. And if you don't have the time to do it, then find someone who can or listen to this sort of podcast and things mm. like that to actually yeah. open your eyes. And um, once upon a time, I, I may have also thought there were only two ways, red or blue, but I have educated myself and I'm proudly flying the flag for New Zealand first and showing people actually there is another way. New Zealand can become prosperous and we can move forward united again. We can build that resilience, not only within ourselves, but within our family, within our community and with as a nation as a whole. But we really do need to um, make that decision, all of us, that, hey, I'm going mm-hmm. to do this. I'm going to take responsibility. I'm not going to stay in my little brown puddle of mud, which might feel comfortable. But, you know, when you're in gumboots and you're trying to step out of mud, it's really hard yeah. to make that decision. But the once you're out of the mud, behind. yeah, the boot yeah. gets left behind. Well, maybe leave the boot behind. And run free and go, actually, there's another path forward. I'm not going to give up on New Zealand. Uh, That's why I'm running. I'm not going to give up on New Zealand. I'm going to do what I can to step forward and show people that they can do the same and take ownership back of their lives and their brains (laughs) in some cases. You know, what you're saying is is so, so pertinent, especially now. How many times are you getting people come up to you who say, if the Labour Party gets back in, I'm going to Australia. All the time. Right. And what's your response there? I know what my response is to that, but I'm interested in your response to that. Well, I can understand why you're doing that, but this is why I'm standing, mm. because I actually know that there is another way. We don't have to all up and leave. This country is worth fighting for. And trust us, actually. Trust New Zealand first that if you give us the party vote and we've got the numbers to get back in and make a real difference, well, when we've got the numbers to get back in and make a real difference, things can be different. Don't give up. I mean, in a way, packing our bags and leaving is running away in a way, isn't it? Um, But I think it's cowardice. Yeah, it is sad. You know, I'm going to vote, and if it doesn't work out the way I want, I'm going to run away. Mm, mm. I always say to people, you know, we've had bad governments before mm. and and we voted them out. Yes. And then we had slightly better ones or worse ones or whatever, and we voted them out. And this is not the end of the world, but you have to stand and fight. You have to mm. stand your ground. Mm. And running away to another country uh, doesn't do that. No. <laughs> you know? I mean, no. yes, you could use the advice of one of my mentors, you know, he always says in business or in personal uh, circumstances, if you find that you're flogging a dead horse, the best strategy is to dismount. Yeah, true. Right. So if we've voted for uh, for, for a continuation of this government, 
we don't dismount and run away. You dismount and find another ride. Yes, absolutely. And, and charge on regardless. You know, our heroes didn't charge the Russian guns at uh, in, in the charge of the Light Brigade. Uh, didn't mm-hmm. shy away from that. They carried on in the face of withering fire. Eighteen-year-olds mm. in D Day didn't shirk their mm. responsibility. They carried on. They pressed on regardless. Mm. Mm. And I think it's what New Zealanders need to do. And I think we can be a great little country again. Um, yes, but people need to stand up. And, yes, you know, we saw that uh, people stood up. They went to Parliament and they said, "We want to be heard. Mm. We don't agree with this." Mm. And all the parties that are currently in the parliament said, "We don't want. We don't want to talk to you. Mm, mm. We don't want to listen." So sad. To you. Appalling. So sad. And now the same people who took all those people's jobs and careers and livelihoods and lives are begging us for the vote again. Mm, mm. And um, I found it comical that um, someone accused New Zealand First of um, divisive language and all that sort of stuff. And I went, oh, hang on, that doesn't, that's kind of sounds a bit like projecting. Uh, what I love about you, New Zealand First is they, it, it's like a big family. And, you know, it's not about going out there and getting fringe votes. It's about giving people a home. Mm. It's about telling these people who are looking for a political home, I'm hearing you. I'm hearing you. I'm hearing your pain. Yeah. You're heard. You're being heard. And unfortunately, a lot of people in this country for the last few years haven't been heard. And that is the thing that breaks my heart the most. Mm. I mean, you're a counsellor. You hear people. That's why people come to me. They need to be heard. And that is what we all want, actually, as human. Just imagine being in a relationship and your partner never listens to you. That feels awful, right? Imagine if you are in a country where you are feeling different, you're feeling that you're put aside, you're not being heard. Um, There's a lot of people out there who are looking for someone to hear them and to know that they're going to be served by these people, by these politicians. And that's not something we hear very often from politicians. Uh, we, you know, where they're saying, "I want to serve the people." No, you you often hear, "Here's a bright, shiny new policy that I'm showing you right now, and I'll promise you this." But is this what the people asked for? Is this what the people have been asking for during the past two or three years? Is this what some of the families who can't put food on the table want? What is it that the people want? Hear them. Listen to them. Mm. Talk with with them, not talk at them. Yeah, mm. for sure. I mean. Well, those are really wise words. And, yeah. uh, you know, this whole discussion that we've had has been about empowerment. Mm. For sure. What else is there? I mean, otherwise, the alternative is to mope through life with your shoulders down, woe is me, victim mentality. I go, don't. You know, this is your one precious life. Put your shoulders back, be proud, and stand up for what you believe. Don't be dictated to about how you should be thinking and feeling. Think for yourself. Be victorious, not a victor, victim. 
Yeah, be a victor, not a victim. Those are awesome words, mm. empowering words. And that's what we need to see in, in our parliament, that politicians are empowering the citizens to make their own decisions. Yeah. Uh, empowering citizens to be better people, to live better lives. And, uh, you know, I really appreciate this discussion that we've had today. And, uh, you know, it's uplifted me, actually. And awesome. uh, hopefully the uh, the listeners to my show uh, will be uplifted as well and choose to make better decisions. Absolutely. And be proud. Yeah. Be proud of your decisions. Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. So, uh, look, Tanya, uh, I wish you all the best for the election. Uh, I really hope that you make it into Parliament and that you can actually stand there and show the bureaucrats and show the other politicians that there is a better way Mm -hmm. and uh, stand up not only for yourself, but also for your voters and for the whole of New Zealand. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I do wish you really well on that. And thank I thank you. you so much for coming on The Crunch. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you. It was a great conversation. Thank you. I am constantly amazed by the guests that I have on The Crunch. And Tanya was no exception. What an amazing story she has. I really hope she manages to get a high list ranking because I think that she can add a much needed dimension to our parliament. Do you think the same? Don't forget to send comments to inbox at realitycheck.radio or text to 2057. This is The Crunch with Cam Slater. Conversations with a side of controversy right here on RCR.